This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and I've got some exciting news for you. This podcast has done extremely well for the past five years, and we've had a number of requests to do two episodes a week instead of one. So we're adding Wednesday nights to our collection, and now you'll have two great short stories each week, Wednesdays and Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. When we get going, be sure to send us a good review mentioning the Wednesday episodes. Our mission to bring enjoyable classic literature to everyone is working very well, and all thanks to you. Thanks for being great fans of our show, and please share us with everyone you know. Thank you. Today, two stories from The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. The first, Little John and the Tanner of Blythe. One fine day, not long after Little John had left abiding with the sheriff and had come back with his worship's cook to the merry Greenwood, as has just been told, Robin Hood and a few chosen fellows of his band lay upon the soft sward beneath the greenwood tree where they dwelled. The day was warm and sultry, so that while most of the band were scattered through the forest upon this mission and upon that, these few stout fellows lay lazily beneath the shade of the tree in the soft afternoon, passing jests among themselves and telling merry stories with laughter and mirth. All the air was laden with the bitter fragrance of the May, and all the bosky shades of the woodlands beyond rang with the sweet song of birds, the throstlecock, the cuckoo, and the wood-pigeon, and with the song of birds mingled the cool sound of the gurgling brook that leaped out of the forest shades, and ran fretting amid its rough gray stones across the sunlit open glade before the trysting tree. And a fair sight was that half-score of tall, stout yeomen, all clad in Lincoln green, lying beneath the broad-spreading branches of the great oak tree, amid the quivering leaves of which the sunlight shivered and fell in dancing patches upon the grass. Suddenly Robin Hood smote his knee. "'By St. Dunstan,' quoth he, "'I had nigh forgot that quarter-day cometh on apace, and yet no cloth of Lincoln green in all our store. It must be looked to, and that in quick season.' Come, busk thee, little John, stir those lazy bones of thine, for thou must get thee straightway to our good gossip, the draper Hugh Longshanks of Ancaster. Bid him set us straightway twenty score yards of fair cloth of Lincoln green, and mayhap the journey may take some of the fat from off thy bones, that thou hast gotten from lazy living at our dear sheriff's. Nay, muttered little John, for he had heard so much upon this score that he was sore upon the point. Nay, truly, Mayhap I have more flesh upon my joints than I once had. Yet, flesh or no flesh, I doubt not that I could still hold my place and footing upon a narrow bridge against any yeoman in Sherwood, or Nottinghamshire, for the matter of that, 
"'even though he had no more fat about his bones than thou hast, good master.' At this reply, a great shout of laughter went up, and all looked at Robin Hood, for each man knew that Little John spake of a certain fight that happened between their master and himself, through which they first became acquainted. "'Nay,' quoth Robin Hood, laughing louder than all, "'heaven forbid that I should doubt thee, for I care for no taste of thy staff myself, Little John. I must needs own that there are those of my band can handle a seven-foot staff more deftly than I.' "'yet no man in all Nottinghamshire "'can draw a great goose-shaft with my fingers. "'Nevertheless, a journey to Ancaster "'may not be ill for thee. "'So go thou, as I bid, "'and thou hadst best go this very evening. "'For since thou hast abided at the sheriff's, "'many know thy face, "'and if thou goest in broad daylight, "'thou mayst get thyself into a coil "'with some of his worship's men-at-arms. "'Bide thou here, until I bring thee money "'to pay our good hue.' I warrant he hath no better customers in all Nottinghamshire than we. So saying, Robin left them and entered the forest. Not far from the trysting tree was a great rock in which a chamber had been hewn, the entrance being barred by a massive oaken door two palms' breadth in thickness, studded about with spikes, and fastened with a great padlock. This was the treasure-house of the band, and thither Robin Hood went, and unlocking the door, entered the chamber. "'from which he brought forth a bag of gold "'which he gave to Little John "'to pay Hugh Longshanks withal "'for the cloth of Lincoln Green. "'Then up got Little John, "'and taking the bag of gold "'which he thrust into his bosom, "'he strapped a girdle about his loins, "'took a stout pike-staff "'full seven feet long in his hand, "'and set forth upon his journey. "'So he strode, whistling, "'along the leafy forest path "'that led to Fossey Way, "'turning neither to the right hand nor the left, "'until at last he came to where the path branched, "'leading on the one hand onward to Fozzy Way, "'and on the other, as well Little John knew, "'to the merry Blue Boar Inn. "'Here Little John suddenly ceased whistling "'and stopped in the middle of the path. First he looked up, and then he looked down, "'and then, tilting his cap over one eye, "'he slowly scratched the back part of his head. "'For thus it was,' At the sight of these two roads, two voices began to alarm within him. The one cried, There lies the road to Blue Boar Inn, a can of brown October, and a merry night with sweet companions such as thou mayst find there. And the other voice said, There lies the way to Ancaster, and the duty thou art sent upon. Now the first of these two voices was far the louder, for little John had grown passing fond of good living through abiding at the sheriff's house. So, presently, looking up into the blue sky, across which bright clouds were sailing like silver boats, and swallows skimming in circling flight, quoth he, I fear me it will rain this evening, so I'll e'en stop at the blue boar till it passes by, for I know my good master would not have me wet to the skin. So, without more ado, off he strode down the path that lay the way of his likings. Now there was no sign of any foul weather, but when one wishes to do a thing, as little John did, one finds no lack of reasons for the doing. Four merry wags were at the Blue Boar Inn, a butcher, a beggar, and two barefoot friars. Little John heard them singing from afar, as he walked through the hush of the mellow twilight that was now falling over hill and dale. Right glad were they to welcome such a merry blade as Little John. Fresh cans of ale were brought, and with jest and song and merry tales the hours slipped away on fleeting wings. None thought of time or tide till the night was so far gone 
that Little John put by the thought of setting forth upon his journey again that night, and so bided at the Blue Boar Inn until the morrow. Now it was an ill piece of luck for Little John that he left his duty for his pleasure, and he paid a great score for it, as we are all apt to do in the same case, as you shall see. Up he rose at dawn of the next day, and, taking his stout pikestaff in his hand, he set forth upon his journey once more, as though he would make up for lost time. In the good town of Blythe there lived a stout tanner, celebrated far and near for feats of strength and many tough bouts at wrestling and the quarterstaff. For five years he had held the mid-country champion belt for wrestling, till the great Adam O. Lincoln cast him in the ring and broke one of his ribs. But at quarterstaff he had never yet met his match in all the country about. Besides all this, he dearly loved the longbow, and a sly jaunt in the forest when the moon was full and the dun deer in season, so that the king's rangers kept a shrewd eye upon him and his doings, for Arthur of Bland's house was apt to have a plenty of meat in it that was more like venison than the law allowed. Now Arthur had been to Nottingham Town the day before Little John set forth on his errand, there to sell a half-score of tanned cowhides. At the dawn of the same day that Little John left the inn, he started from Nottingham, homeward for Blythe. His way led, all in the dewy morn, past the verge of Sherwood Forest, where the birds were welcoming the lovely day with a great and merry jubilee. Across the tanner's shoulders was slung his stout quarterstaff, even near enough to him to be gripped quickly, and on his head was a cap of doubled cowhide, so tough that it could hardly be cloven even by a broadsword. Now, quoth Arthur Bland to himself, when he had come to that part of the road that cut through a corner of the forest, no doubt at this time of year the dun deer are coming from the forest depths nigher to the open meadowlands. Perhaps I may chance to catch a sight of the dainty brown darlings thus early in the morning, for there was nothing he loved better than to look upon a tripping herd of deer, even when he could not tickle their ribs with a clothyard shaft. Accordingly, quitting the path, he went peeping this way and that through the underbrush, spying now here and now there, with all the wiles of a master of woodcraft, and of one who had more than once donned a doublet of Lincoln Green. Now as Little John stepped blithely along, thinking of nothing but of such things as the sweetness of the hawthorn buds that bedecked the hedgerows, or gazing upward at the lark, that, springing from the dewy grass, hung aloft on quivering wings in the yellow sunlight, "'pouring forth its song that fell like a falling star from the sky. "'His luck led him away from the highway, "'not far from the spot where Arthur Abland was peeping this way and that "'through the leaves of the thickets. "'Hearing a rustling of the branches, Little John stopped, "'and presently caught sight of the brown cowhide cap of the tanner "'moving among the bushes. "'I do much wonder,' quoth Little John to himself, "'what yon knave is after, "'that he should go thus peeping and peering about.' I verily believe that yon scurvy varlet is no better than a thief, and the good king's dun deer. For by much roving in the forest, Little John had come to look upon all deer in Sherwood as belonging to Robin Hood and his band, as much as to good king Harry. Nay, quoth he again, after a time, this matter must e'en be looked into. So, quitting the high road, he also entered the thickets, and began spying around after stout Arthur Abland. So for a long time they both of them went hunting about, Little John after the tanner, and the tanner after the deer. At last Little John trod upon a stick 
which snapped under his foot, whereupon, hearing the noise, the tanner turned quickly and caught sight of the yeoman. Seeing that the tanner had spied him out, Little John put a bold face upon the matter. "'Hello!' quoth he. "'What art thou doing here, thou naughty fellow? "'Who art thou that comest ranging Sherwood's paths?' "'In very sooth thou hast an evil cast of countenance, "'and I do think, truly, that thou art no better than a thief, "'and comest after our good king's deer.' "'Nay!' quoth the tanner boldly, "'for, though taken by surprise, "'he was not a man to be frightened by big words. "'Thou liest in thy teeth. "'I am no thief, but an honest craftsman. "'As for my countenance, it is what it is. "'And, for the matter of that, "'thine own is none too pretty, thou saucy fellow.' Ha! quoth Little John in a great loud voice. What dost thou give me, Backtog? Now I have a great part of mine to crack thy pate for thee. I would have thee know, fellow, that I am, as it were, one of the king's foresters, leastwise, muttered he to himself. I and my friends do take good care of our good sovereign's dear. I care not who thou art, answered the bold tanner, and unless thou hast many more of thy kind by thee, thou canst never make Arthur a bland cry a mercy. "'Is it so?' cried Little John in a rage. "'Now, by my faith, thou saucy rogue, "'thy tongue hath led thee into a pit "'thou wilt have a sorry time getting out of. "'For I will give thee such a drubbing "'as ne'er hast thou had in all thy life before. "'Take thy staff in thy hand, fellow, "'for I will not smite an unarmed man.' "'Mary, come up with the moraine!' cried the tanner, "'for he too had talked himself into a fume. "'Big words ne'er killed so much as a mouse.' "'Who art thou that talkest so freely "'of cracking the head of Arthur a bland? "'If I do not tan thy hide this day "'as ne'er I tanned a calf's hide "'in all my life before, "'split my staff into skewers for lamb's flesh, "'and call me no more brave man. "'Now look to thyself, fellow.' "'Stay!' cried Little John. "'Let us first measure our cudgels. "'I do reckon my staff longer than thine, "'and I would not take bandage of thee "'by even so much as an inch.' "'Nay, I pass not for length,' answered the tanner. "'My staff is long enough to knock down a calf, "'so look to thy own self, fellow, I say again.' "'So, without more ado, each gripped his staff in the middle, "'and, with fell and angry looks, they came slowly together. "'Now news had been brought to Robin Hood "'how that little John, instead of doing his bidding, "'had passed by duty for pleasure, "'and so had stopped overnight with a merry company at the Blue Boar Inn,' "'instead of going straight to Ancaster. "'So, being vexed to his heart by this, "'he set forth the dawn of the day "'to seek Little John at the Blue Boar, "'or at least to meet the yeoman on the way, "'and ease his heart of what he thought of the matter. "'As thus he strode along in anger, "'putting together the words he would use "'to chide Little John, "'he heard, of a sudden, "'loud and angry voices, "'as of men in a rage, "'passing fell words back and forth "'from one to the other. "'At this, Robin Hood stopped and listened.' "'Surely,' quoth he to himself, "'that is Little John's voice, "'and he's talking in anger also. "'Methinks the other is strange to my ears. "'Now heaven forfend that my good trusty Little John "'should have fallen into the hands of the king's rangers. "'I must see to this matter, and quickly.' "'Thus spoke Robin Hood to himself, "'all his anger passing away like a breath from the window-pane, "'at the thought that perhaps his trusty right-hand man "'was in some danger of his life.' "'so cautiously he made his way through the thickets "'whence the voices came, "'and pushing aside the leaves, "'peeped into the little open space "'where the two men, staff in hand, 
were coming slowly together. Ha! quoth Robin to himself. Here is a merry sport afoot. Now I would give three golden angels from my own pocket if you, stout fellow, would give little John a right sound drubbing. It would please me to see him well thumped for having failed in my bidding. I fear me, though, there is but poor chance of my seeing such a pleasant sight. So saying, he stretched himself at length upon the ground, that he might not only see the sport the better, but that he might enjoy the merry sight at his ease. As you may have seen two dogs that think to fight, walking slowly round and round each other, neither cur wishing to begin the combat, so those two stout yeomen moved slowly around, each watching for a chance to take the other unaware, and so get in the first blow. At last Little John struck like a flash, and rap! The tanner met the blow and turned it aside, and then smote back at Little John, who also turned the blow. And so this mighty battle began. Then up and down and back and forth they trod, the blows falling so thick and fast that, at a distance, one would have thought that half a score of men were fighting. Thus they fought for nigh half an hour, until the ground was all plowed up with the digging of their heels, and their breathing grew labored like the ox in the furrow. But Little John suffered the most, for he had become unused to such stiff labor, and his joints were not as supple as they had been before he went to dwell with the sheriff. All this time Robin Hood lay beneath the bush, rejoicing at such a comely bout of quarterstaff. "'By my faith!' quoth he to himself. "'Never had I thought to see Little John so evenly matched in all my life. Belike, though, he would have overcome yon fellow before this had he been in his former trim.' At last Little John saw his chance, and, throwing all the strength he felt going from him into one blow that might have felled an ox, he struck at the tanner with might and main. And now did the tanner's cowhide cap stand him in good stead, and but for it he might never have held staff in hand again. As it was, the blow he caught beside the head was so shrewd that it sent him staggering across the little glade, so that, if Little John had had the strength to follow up his vantage, it would have been ill for stout Arthur." but he regained himself quickly, and at arm's length struck back a blow at Little John. At this time the stroke reached its mark, and down went Little John at full length, his cudgel flying from his hand as he fell. Then, raising his staff, stout Arthur dealt him another blow upon the ribs. "'Hold!' roared Little John. "'Wouldst thou strike a man when he's down?' "'Aye, merry would I,' quoth the tanner, giving him another thwack with his staff. "'Stop!' "'Word Little John, help! Hold, I say! I yield me! I yield me, I say, good fellow!' "'Hast thou had enough?' asked the tanner grimly, holding his staff aloft. "'Ay, marry, and more than enough. "'And thou dost own that I am the better man of the two? "'Yea, truly, and a moran sees thee,' said Little John, the first aloud, and the last to his beard.' "'Then thou mayst go thy ways, and thank thy patron saint that I am a merciful man,' said the tanner. "'A plague of such mercy as thine,' said Little John, sitting up and feeling his ribs where the tanner had cudgelled him. "'I make my vow. My ribs feel as though every one of them were broken in twain. I tell thee, good fellow, I did think there was never a man in all Nottinghamshire could do to me what thou hast done this day.' "'And so thought I also,' cried Robin Hood, "'bursting out of the thicket and shouting with laughter "'till the tears ran down his cheeks. "'Oh, man,' said he, as well as he could for his mirth, "'I did see the whole merry bout, 
"'and never did I think to see thee yield thyself so, "'hand and foot, to any man in all merry England. "'I was seeking thee, to chide thee for leaving my bidding undone, "'but thou hast been paid all I owed thee, full measure, "'pressed down and overflowing, by this good fellow. "'Mary, he did reach out his arm full length "'while thou stood gaping at him, "'and, with a pretty rap, tumbled thee over "'as never I've seen one tumble before.' "'So spoke bold Robin, "'and all the time little John sat upon the ground, "'looking as though he had sour curds in his mouth. "'What may be thy name, good fellow?' "'said Robin, next, turning to the tanner. "'Men do call me Arthur Bland,' "'spoke up the tanner boldly. "'And now what may be thy name?' "'Ha! Arthur Bland,' quoth Robin. "'I have heard thy name before, good fellow. "'Thou didst break the crown of a friend of mine "'at the fair at Eli last October.' The folk there call him Jocko Nottingham. We call him Will Scathelock. This poor fellow whom thou hast so belabored is counted the best-handed quarterstaff in all of England. His name is Little John, and my name is Robin Hood. How? cried the tanner. Art thou indeed the great Robin Hood? And is this the famous Little John? Mary, had I known who thou art, "'I would never have been so bold as to lift my hand against thee. "'Let me help thee to thy feet, good master Little John, "'and let me brush the dust from off thy coat.' "'Nay,' quoth Little John testily, "'at the same time rising carefully, "'as though his bones had been made of glass, "'I can help myself, good fellow, without thy aid. "'And let me tell thee, "'had it not been for that vile cow-skin capodine, "'it would have been ill for thee this day.' At this Robin laughed again, and turning to the tanner he said, "'Wilt thou join my band, good Arthur, for I make my vow thou art one of the stoutest men that ever mine eyes beheld.' "'Will I join thy band?' cried the tanner joyfully. "'Ay, merry will I! Hey for a merry life!' cried he, leaping aloft and snapping his fingers. "'And hey for the life I love! Away with tan-bark and filthy vats and foul cowhides!' I will follow thee to the ends of the earth, good master, and not a herd of dun deer in all the forest but shall know the sound of the twang of my bowstring. As for thee, little John, said Robin, turning to him and laughing, thou wilt start once more for Ancaster, and we will go part way with thee, for I will not have thee turn again to either the right hand or the left till thou hast fairly gotten away from Sherwood. There are other inns that thou knowest yet hereabouts. Thereupon, leaving the thickets, they took once more to the highway, and departed upon their business. We'll return with our second story right after these sponsor messages. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers, as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. 
to get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. And now, Robin Hood and Will Scarlet, a continuation of the last story. Thus they traveled along the sunny road, three stout fellows such as you could hardly match anywhere else in all of merry England. Many stopped to gaze after them as they strode along, so broad were their shoulders and so sturdy their gait. Quoth Robin Hood to Little John, Why didst thou not go straight to Ancaster yesterday, as I told thee? Thou wouldst not have gotten thyself into such a coil, hast thou done as I ordered. I feared the rain that threatened, said Little John in a sullen tone, for he was vexed at being so chaffed by Robin with what had happened to him. The rain, cried Robin, stopping of a sudden in the middle of the road, and looking at Little John in wonder. Why, thou great oaf, not a drop of rain has fallen these three days, neither has any threatened, nor hath there been a sign of foul weather in earth or sky or water. Nevertheless, growled Little John, the holy saint Swithin holdeth the waters of the heavens in his pewter pot, and he could have poured them out, had he chosen, even from a clear sky. And wouldst thou have had me wet to the skin? At this Robin Hood burst into a roar of laughter. Ha! Little John, said he, what butter wits hast thou in that head of thine? Who could hold anger against such a one as thou art? So saying, they all stepped out once more, with the right foot foremost, as the saying goes. After they had traveled some distance, the day being warm and the road dusty, Robin Hood waxed thirsty, so there being a fountain of water as cold as ice, just behind the hedgerow, they crossed the stile and came to where the water bubbled up from beneath a mossy stone. Here, kneeling and making cups of the palms of their hands, they drank their fill, and then, the spot being cool and shady, they stretched their limbs and rested them for a space. In front of them, over beyond the hedge, the dusty road stretched away across the plain. Behind them, the meadowlands and bright green fields of tender young corn lay broadly in the sun, and overhead spread the shade of the cool, rustling leaves of the beech tree. Pleasantly to their nostrils came the tender fragrance of the purple violets and wild thyme that grew within the dewy moisture of the edge of the little fountain, and pleasantly came the soft gurgle of the water. All was so pleasant and so full of the gentle joy of the bright Maytime, that for a long time no one of the three cared to speak, but each lay on his back, gazing up to the trembling leaves of the trees to the bright sky overhead. At last Robin, whose thoughts were not quite so busy wool-gathering as those of the others, and who had been gazing around him now and then, broke the silence. "'Heyday!' quoth he. "'Yon is a gaily feathered bird. I take my vow.' The others looked and saw a young man walking slowly down the highway. Gay was he, indeed, as Robin had said, and a fine figure he cut, for his doublet was of scarlet silk and his stockings also. A handsome sword hung by his side, the embossed leathern scabbard being picked out with fine threads of gold. His cap was of scarlet velvet, 
and a broad feather hung down behind and back of one ear. His hair was long and yellow and curled upon his shoulders, and in his hand he bore an early rose, which he smelled at daintily now and then. "'By my life!' quoth Robin Hood, laughing. "'By my life!' quoth Robin Hood, laughing. "'Saw ye ever such a pretty, mincing fellow?' "'Truly his clothes have overmuch prettiness for my taste,' quoth Arthur of Bland. "'But nevertheless, his shoulders are broad, and his loins are narrow. "'And seest thou, good master, how that his arms hang from his body? "'They dangle not down like spindles, but hang stiff and bend at the elbow. "'I take my vow. "'There be no bread-and-milk limbs in those fine clothes, "'but stiff joints and tough thews.' "'Methinks thou art right, friend Arthur,' said Little John. "'I do verily think—' "'that Jan is no such rose-leaf and whipped-cream gallant "'as he would have one take him to be.' "'Pah!' quoth Robin Hood. "'The sight of such a fellow doth put a nasty taste into my mouth. "'Look how he doth hold that fair flower betwixt his thumb and finger, "'as he would say, "'Good rose, I like thee not so ill, "'but I can bear thy odour for a little while. "'I take it ye are both wrong, "'and barely believe that were a furious mouse to run across his path, "'he would cry, "'La!' or a lack-a-day, and fall straightway into a swoon. I wonder who he may be. Some great barren son, I doubt not, answered Little John, with good and true men's money lining his purse. Ay, Mary, that is true, I make no doubt, quoth Robin. What a pity that such men as he, that have no thought to go abroad in gay clothes, should have good fellows, whose shoes they are not fit to tie, dancing at their bidding. By St. Dunstan, St. Alfred, St. Withold, and all the good men in the Saxon calendar. It doth make me mad to see such gay lordlings from over the sea go stepping on the necks of good Saxons who owned this land before even their great-grandsires chewed rind abroad. By the bright bow of heaven, I will have their ill-gotten gains from them, even though I hang for it as high as e'er a forest tree in Sherwood. Why, how now, master? quoth little John. What heat is this? "'Thou dost set thy pot a-boiling, "'and mayhap no bacon to cook? "'Methinks you fellows' hair is over-light for Norman locks. "'He may be a good man and true, for aught thou knowest.' "'Nay,' said Robin, "'my head against a leaden farthing. "'He is what I say. "'So lie ye both here, I say, "'till I show you how I drub this fellow.' "'So saying, Robin Hood stepped forth "'from the shade of the beech-tree, "'crossed the stile, and stood in the middle of the road, "'with his hands upon his hips, "'in the stranger's path. "'Meantime the stranger, "'who had been walking so slowly "'that all this talk was held "'before he came opposite the place where they were, "'neither quickened his pace, "'nor seemed to see that such a man as Robin Hood "'was in the world. "'So Robin stood in the middle of the road, "'waiting while the other walked slowly forward, "'smelling his rose, "'and looking this way and that, "'and everywhere, except at Robin. "'Hold!' cried Robin, "'when at last the other had come close to him. "'Hold! Stay where you are!' "'Wherefore should I hold, good fellow?' said the stranger, in a soft and gentle voice. "'And wherefore should I stand where I am? Nevertheless, as thou dost desire that I should stay, I will abide for a short time, that I may hear what thou mayst have to say to me.' "'Then,' quoth Robin, "'as thou dost so fairly do as I tell thee, and dost give me such a soft speech, I will also treat thee with all due courtesy.' I would have thee know, fair friend, that I am, as it were, a votary at the shrine of St. Wilfred, who, thou mayst know, took, willy-nilly, all their gold from the heathen, 
"'and melted it up into candlesticks. "'Wherefore, upon such as come hereabouts, "'I levy a certain toll, "'which I use for a better purpose, I hope, "'than to make candlesticks withal. "'Therefore, sweet Chuck, "'I would have thee deliver to me thy purse, "'that I may look into it, and judge, "'to the best of my poor powers, "'whether thou hast more wealth about thee "'than our law allows. "'For as our good gaffer Swathold saith, "'he who is fat from over-living "'must needs lose blood.' All this time the youth had been sniffing at the rose that he held betwixt his thumb and finger. "'Nay,' said he with a gentle smile, when Robin Hood had done, "'I do love to hear thee talk, thou pretty fellow, and if haply thou art yet done, finish, I beseech thee. I have yet some little time to stay.' "'I've said all,' quoth Robin, "'and now, if thou wilt give me thy purse, I will let thee go thy way without let or hindrance.' "'so soon as I shall see what it may hold. "'I will take none from thee, if thou hast but little.' "'Alas, it doth grieve me much,' said the other, "'that I cannot do as thou dost wish. "'I have nothing to give thee. "'Let me go my way, I pray thee. "'I have done thee no harm.' "'Nay, thou goest not,' quoth Robin, "'till thou hast shown me thy purse.' "'Good friend,' said the other gently, I have business elsewhere. I've given thee much time, and I've heard thee patiently. Pry thee, let me depart in peace. I've spoken to thee, friend, said Robin sternly, and I now tell thee again that thou goest not one step forward till thou hast done as I bid thee. And in saying, he raised his quarterstaff above his head in a threatening way. Alas, said the stranger sadly, it doth grieve me that this thing must be. I fear much that I must slay thee, thou poor fellow. And so saying, he drew his sword. Put by thy weapon, quoth Robin. I would take no vantage of thee. Thy sword cannot stand against an oaken staff such as mine. I could snap it like barley straw. Yonder is a good oaken thicket by the roadside. Take thee a cudgel thence, and defend thyself fairly, if thou hast a taste for a sound drubbing. First the stranger measured Robin with his eye. "'and then he measured the oaken staff. "'Thou art right, good fellow,' said he presently. "'Truly, my sword is no match for that cudgel of thine. "'Bide thee a while till I get me a staff.' "'So saying, he threw aside the rose "'that he had been holding all this time, "'thrust his sword back into his scabbard, "'and with a more hasty step than had yet been used, "'stepped to the roadside "'where grew the little clump of ground oaks "'Robin had spoken of. "'Choosing among them, "'he presently found a sapling to his liking.' He did not cut it, but, rolling up his sleeves a little way, he laid hold of it, placed his heel against the ground, and with one mighty pull, plucked the young tree up by the roots from out of the very earth. Then he came back, trimming away the roots and tender stems with his sword, as quietly as if he had done not to speak of. Little John and the tanner had been watching all the past, but when they saw the stranger drag the sapling up from the earth, and heard the rending and snapping of its roots, the tanner pursed his lips together, drawing his breath between them in a long, inward whistle. Whew! By the breath of my body, said Little John, as soon as he could gather his wits from their wonder. Did you see that, Arthur? Mary, I think our poor master will stand but an ill chance with yon fellow. By our lady, he plucked up yon green tree as it were a barley straw. Whatever Robin thought, he stood his ground, and now he and the stranger in scarlet stood face to face. 
"'Well did Robin Hood hold his own that day "'as a mid-country yeoman. "'This way and that they fought, "'and back and forth, "'Robin's skill against the stranger's strength. "'The dust of the highway rose up around them like a cloud, "'so that at times little John and the tanner "'could see nothing "'but only hear the rattle of the staves against one another. "'Thrice Robin Hood struck the stranger, "'once upon the arm and twice upon the ribs, "'and yet had he warded all the other's blows, "'only one of which, had it met its mark, "'would have laid stout Robin lower in the dust "'than he'd ever gone before. "'At last the stranger struck Robin's cudgel "'so fairly in the middle "'that he could hardly hold his staff in his hand. "'Again he struck, and Robin bent beneath the blow. "'A third time he struck, "'and now not only fairly beat down Robin's guard, "'but gave him such a rap also "'that down he tumbled into the dusty road. "'Hold!' cried Robin Hood, "'when he saw the stranger raising his staff once more. "'I yield!' "'Yes, hold!' cried Little John, "'bursting from his cover, with the tanner at his heels. "'Hold! Give over, I say!' "'Nay,' answered the stranger quietly, "'if there be two more of you, "'and each as stout as this good fellow,' "'I am like to have my hands full. "'Nevertheless, come on. "'I will strive my best to serve you all.' "'Stop!' cried Robin Hood. "'We will fight no more. "'I take my vow. "'This is an ill day for thee and me, little John. "'I do verily believe that my wrist and eke my arm "'are palsied by the jar of the blow that this stranger struck me.' "'Then little John turned to Robin Hood. "'Why, how now, good master?' said he. "'Alas!' "'Thou art in an ill plight. "'Mary, thy jerkin is all befouled with the dust of the road. "'Let me help thee to arise.' "'A plague on thy aid,' cried Robin angrily. "'I can get to my feet without thy help, good fellow.' "'Nay, but let me at least dust thy coat for thee. "'I fear thy poor bones are mightily sore,' "'quoth little John soberly, but with a sly twinkle in his eyes. "'Give over, I say.' "'quoth Robin in a fume. "'My coat has been dusted enough already "'without the aid of thine.' "'Then, turning to the stranger, he said, "'What may be thy name, good fellow?' "'My name is Gamwell,' answered the other. "'Ha!' cried Robin. "'Is it even so? "'I have near kin of that name. "'Whence comest thou, fair friend?' "'From Maxwell Town I come,' answered the stranger. "'There I was born and bred.' "'and thence I come to seek my mother's young brother, "'whom men call Robin Hood. "'So if perchance thou mayst direct me.' "'Ha! Will Gamwell!' cried Robin, "'placing both hands upon the other's shoulders "'and holding him off at arm's length. "'Surely it can be none other. "'I might have known thee by that pretty maiden air of thine, "'that dainty finicking manner of gait. "'Dost thou not know me, lad? "'Look upon me well.' "'Now, by the breath of my body,' cried the other, "'I do believe from my heart that thou art mine own Uncle Robin. "'Nay, certain it is so.' "'And each flung his arms around the other, kissing him upon the cheek. "'Then once more Robin held his kinsman off at arm's length "'and scanned him keenly from top to toe. "'Why, how now?' quoth he. "'What change is here? "'Verily, some eight or ten years ago, "'I left thee a stripling lad with great joints and ill-hung limbs, "'and lo!' "'Here thou art, as tight a fellow as e'er I set my eyes upon. "'Dost thou not remember, lad, "'how I showed thee the proper way to nip the goose-feather "'betwixt thy fingers, and throw out thy bow-arm steadily? "'Thou had great promise of being a keen archer. "'And dost thou not mind how I taught thee to fend and parry with the cudgel?' 
"'Yes?' said young Gamwell. "'And I did so look up to thee, "'and thought thee so above all other men, "'that I make my vow, "'had I known who thou wert, "'I would never have dared to lift a hand against thee this day. "'I trust I did thee no great harm.' "'No, no,' quoth Robin hastily, "'and looking sideways at little John, "'Thou didn't harm me, "'but say no more of that, I pray thee. "'Yet I will say, lad, "'that I hope I may never feel again "'such a blow as thou didst give me. "'By her lady, "'mine arm doth tingle yet "'from fingernail to elbow. "'Truly, I thought that I was palsied for life. "'I tell thee, cuz, "'thou art the strongest man "'that I ever laid mine eyes upon. "'I take my vow. "'I felt my stomach quake "'when I beheld thee pluck up "'yon green tree as thou didst. "'But tell me, "'how camest thou to leave Sir Edward and thy mother?' "'Alas!' "'answered young Gamwell. "'It is an ill story, uncle, that I have to tell thee. "'My father's steward, who came to us after old Giles Crookleg died, "'was ever a saucy varlet, "'and I know not why my father kept him, "'saving that he did oversee with great judgment. "'It used to gall me to hear him speak up so boldly to my father, "'who, thou knowest, was ever a patient man to those about him, "'and slow to anger and harsh words. "'Well, one day,' "'and an ill day it was for that saucy fellow. "'He sought to berate my father, I standing by. "'I could stand it no longer, good uncle. "'So, stepping forth, I gave him a box of the ear. "'And wouldst thou believe it? "'The fellow straightway died of it. "'I think they said I broke his neck, or something of the like. "'So off they packed me to seek thee and escape the law. "'I was on my way to see you when thou sawest me, "'and here I am. "'Well,' "'By the faith of my heart,' quoth Robin Hood, "'for anyone escaping the law, "'thou was taking it the most easily "'that ever I beheld in all my life. "'Whenever did anyone in all the world "'see one who had slain a man "'and was escaping because of it, "'tripping along the highway like a dainty court damsel, "'sniffing at a rose the while?' "'Nay, uncle,' answered Will Gamwell, "'overhaste never turn good butter, "'as the old saying hath it. Moreover, I do verily believe that this overstrength of my body hath taken the nimbleness out of my heels. Why, thou didst but just now wrap me thrice, and I thee never a once, save by overbearing thee by my strength. Nay, quoth Robin, let us say no more on that score. I am right glad to see thee, Will, and thou wilt add great honor and credit to my band of merry fellows. But thou must change thy name, for warrants will be out presently against thee. "'so because of thy gay clothes "'thou shalt henceforth and for aye be called "'Will Scarlet.' "'Will Scarlet,' quoth Little John, "'stepping forward and reaching out his great palm, "'which the other took. "'Will Scarlet, the name fitteth thee well. "'Right glad am I to welcome thee among us. "'I am called Little John, "'and this is a new member who has just joined us, "'a stout tanner named Arthur of Bland. "'Thou art like to achieve fame, Will, let me tell thee.' "'for there will be many a merry ballad sung about the country, "'and many a merry story told in Sherwood "'of how Robin Hood taught Little John and Arthur of Bland "'the proper way to use the quarterstaff, "'likewise as it were, "'how our good master bit off so large a piece of cake "'that he choked on it.' "'Nay, good Little John,' quoth Robin gently, "'for he liked ill to have such a jest told of him. "'Why should we speak of this little matter?' "'Pray thee, let us keep this day's doings among ourselves.' "'With all my heart,' quoth Little John. "'But, good master, I thought that thou didst love a merry story, 
"'because thou hast so often made a jest "'about a certain increase of fatness on my joints, "'a flesh gathered by my abiding with the sheriff of... "'Nay, good little John,' said Robin hastily, "'I do bethink me I have said full enough on that score.' "'It is well,' quoth little John, "'for in truth I myself have tired of it somewhat. "'But now I bethink me, "'thou didst also seem minded to make a jest of the rain "'that threatened last night. "'So... "'Nay, then,' said Robin Hood testily, "'I was mistaken. "'I think I remember now that it did seem to threaten rain. "'Truly, I did think so myself,' quoth Little John. "'Therefore, no doubt, thou dost think it wise of me "'to abide all night at the Blue Boar Inn, "'instead of venturing forth in such stormy weather. "'Dost thou not?' "'A plague of thee and thy doings,' cried Robin Hood. "'If thou wilt have it so, thou wert right to abide whatever thou didst choose.' "'Once more it is well,' quoth Little John. "'As for myself, I have been blind this day. "'I did not see thee drubbed. "'I did not see thee tumbled heels over head in the dust. "'And if any man says that thou wert, "'I can with clear conscience rattle his lying tongue betwixt his teeth.' "'Come,' cried Robin, biting his nether lip, "'while the others could not forbear laughing. "'We will go no farther to-day, but will return to Sherwood, "'and thou shalt go to Ancaster another time, Little John.' So said Robin, for now that his bones were sore, he felt as though a long journey would be an ill thing for him. So turning their backs, they retraced their steps whence they came. Thank you for joining us for these two stories from The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. We always appreciate reviews, so if you enjoy our stories, please do take a moment and send us a good review for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. And please do share with a friend. And don't forget to give our long story podcast a try. That's 1001 Stories for the Road, where we're currently doing A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. Thank you for joining us for this first of our Wednesday short stories here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We're now bringing episodes every Wednesday night and Sunday night at 5 p.m. Enjoy, and we'll be back soon. JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Yeah.